Healthcare is rapidly changing. Innovative technologies and new treatment paradigms are changing the way we tackle the world's pervasive health issues. I'm Alex Godan with Oxner Health in New Orleans, Louisiana. Join me as we go inside Louisiana's largest healthcare system, where we discuss new ideas in confronting these healthcare challenges. We talk to thought leaders and healthcare experts to explore the latest innovations in patient care. Welcome to Innovation Health. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues, researchers are studying the impact it has on healthcare and the communities they serve. One research paper that has recently made national headlines revealed major racial disparities in COVID-19 outcomes among patients in Louisiana. On this episode of Innovation Health, I'll be talking with one of the co-authors of this paper, Dr. Ebony Price Haywood, Director of the Center for Outcomes and Health Services Research at Oxner Health. Dr. Price Haywood has been leading the effort to improve healthcare practices as it relates to the health and well-being of communities across the Gulf South region and will help shed light on these important findings. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Price Haywood. Really excited to sit down and talk with you. I'd love to start out by having you tell everyone what your main role is at Oxner. I actually have multiple hats. <laughs> My uh, <laughs> main role is as the director for the Center for Outcomes and Health Services Research. This center is a system-wide center that uh, collaborates with our system leaders around looking for um, and designing and testing and scaling up clinical interventions that improve health outcomes, but also are what they call cost-effective. So you get a lot of bang for your buck <laughs> with mm -hmm. the services, and that's that's part of the work that I do with the system. Um, I am a general internist, so that's obviously an important part of what I do here at Auctioner as well in the internal medicine resident clinic. So I primarily teach primary care. So for this episode, I want to focus in on this research that has recently made headlines. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, was on all kinds of national news outlets. Can you talk about what that research was and what you found out? So the study actually was, the impetus for the study was what we were observing in the state of Louisiana. So around, I think, believe it was the end of March, early April, the Louisiana Department of Health was one of the first five um, public organizations. We were one of the first five states that actually was publishing what we were seeing with COVID-19 cases, including the number of deaths by race and also the, the kinds of chronic conditions that the patients have. And so seeing that on the ground, as well as looking at what was being published, we were asked to, by our system leaders, to take a deep dive and, and get an understanding of what's actually happening within the Oxner Health System. So with that, we collected information uh, on patients who had been seen between beginning of March, March 1st through uh, about mid-May, excuse me, mid-April. And we followed the hospital course of all those um, hospital admissions until mid-May just to see how many people had been discharged and what was the outcome you know, of those hospitalizations. But the interesting thing is that when we first looked at our patient population, we first looked at who was testing positive. And at the time, there were about 3,481 patients who had tested positive. And they had been tested in different uh, parts of the system. Some of it was 
in the primary care doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Some people went to urgent care. A lot of people went to the emergency department. And what we discovered among uh, those patients who had tested positive, most of them were female, which is very different than what had been reported nationally. It was mostly men that they report, you know, in other cases like in China and Italy and other parts of the country. The other thing that we saw that was very different from other uh, places was that 70% of those patients were uh, self-identified as Black or African-American. And so that actually confirmed a lot of what the state was reporting. We were seeing it within the hospital. Then, you know, we said, well, what can we learn about patients who are testing positive? And again, similar to what the state had reported, most of the patients had diabetes, high blood pressure, um, obesity, or overweight, and um and other chronic conditions. But those were, the, I would say, the top three, very similar mm -hmm. to what the state showed. And I mentioned earlier that people were tested in different places. Right. We saw that most of the uh, black patients, over 60% of them who had been tested, were tested in the emergency department as wow. opposed to some other place. So that was a, you know, a shocker. Why are we being tested? And um, I'm sure everyone will remember way back in the beginning, we didn't have access to wide testing. And at the time you had to have symptoms. So perhaps that's why so many people showed up in the emergency department. But the other piece of this is once they, a certain percentage of those patients ended up being so sick that they ended up being admitted to the hospital. So of the approximately 3,500 I mentioned before that were positive, we now had about 1,400 of those patients, almost half, that ended up being admitted to the hospital because they were so sick. And among those patients who were admitted to the hospital, 77%, almost 80% of them identified as black or African-American. So not only was there a high rate of infection among black patients, there was also a high rate of admission among that population. So that's what in the media, you've often seen is the question about the disproportionate burden of disease in the African-American population. That is what we were seeing, both in the tested population who tested positive, as well as those who were admitted. Among those who were admitted, the risk for being, admit risk for being admitted was t twice as high if you were Black. Um, but the other thing that was associated with it was age. So the older you are, the more likely you were to be hospitalized. If you were on public insurance, so that's Medicaid or Medicare, mm -hmm. high rate of admissions. If you lived in a low-income area in this southeast Louisiana, there was a high rate of admission. And also if you were obese, there was a high rate of admission. So there were things that may have put people at risk outside of COVID-19. And often when you're hospitalized, if you have underlying chronic conditions and then you get like a pneumonia or some other illness on top of what you're already dealing with, you may be more vulnerable to the bad health outcomes. So, um, so that's what we saw. And within those patients who were hospitalized, over 300 patients died within that window of time. And that was just in a month and a half. A month and a half. So wow. actually, it was 326 people out mm -hmm. of the, you know, 1,400 that were admitted. 
that many, almost 400, had died during the time, the window of time that we examined their records. And of those patients who died, 71% of them were black. Wow. So high rates of infection, high rates of admission, high rates of death among those who were black. So then we looked at, you know, well, how were sick were people when they presented? What was going on? So we were able to look at their admission, you know, blood pressure, temperature and stuff like that, whether or not their their breathing was compromised, low oxygen level, did they have a fever? Um, also looked at what did their labs show? Did their labs show any signs of of inflammation or organ damage? And when we examined that and we looked at those uh, patients, the risk for in-hospital death, if you take into account some of these demographic factors like poverty level, uh, type of insurance you have, if you look at that plus take into account your clinical um, um, presentation, how sick you were, after you account for those factors, race was not an independent risk factor for dying in the hospital. So the question becomes, well, what does that mean? You know, I just said that most of the people who were hospitalized and most of the people who died were black, but why is race not a factor? The analysis that we did basically looked at social demographic factors in addition to how sick you were. And once you take into account those things, the reason why race is no longer a factor is because all those other things are important. And so race might just be a proxy for, in our area, whether or not you're impoverished, whether or not you have public insurance, whether or not you have access to care. So that's how I would interpret that finding, that it's really these other barriers that may put you at risk that um, we saw were the contributors to the hospitalization and also to the death. So when we speak to those reasons behind the disparities, we really need to be looking at the large picture, like you said, you know, taking into account those reasons you mentioned that could be and that are putting communities more at risk. Um, could you talk about the role that healthcare as an industry plays in those outcomes? What are things they can be doing to help reduce these disparities and make some real change? I would say that the health system and healthcare is a mediator of, mm -hmm. of health outcomes and health equity. And by that, I mean, you have to understand that all there's multiple factors that, that affect whether or not you're healthy. It's not just your chronic conditions, what medications you're on and that sort of thing. There are things upstream of going to the doctor's office that is also um, important for your health. So for example, what's your, what kind of work do you do? Does the work that you do put you at higher risk for exposure mm -hmm. to these infections and other things. And if you remember, when we were um, on the stay-at-home order, your grocery store workers and other people who are considered essential workers did not have the luxury to stay at home. They were out providing services for the rest of us who had the luxury to stay at home. But that meant that by virtue of them doing that, they were exposed to people in the community who may not have known that they had COVID-19. And so, you know, if you look at our data and look at the population and say, well, back to the original question, why were there a disproportionate share of, of Black people affected by COVID-19? Think about our economy locally. We are a tourist industry. 
And so the vast majority of our people work in service-oriented jobs. So that includes the grocery store, restaurants, and, and food um, industry, transportation, public transportation, all of that. Those are our essential workers, but they also happen to be the people who are the lowest paid within our mm -hmm. our local economy and also have issues with insurance coverage and access to care. So you can't talk about the healthcare system and what the healthcare system is doing if you don't understand that there's factors upstream of that, that when, when we see patients, you have to think about them holistically. What about this patient puts them at risk for having um, worse outcomes with their chronic health conditions, or if they get acutely ill, what puts them at risk? Certain people are more vulnerable. And so we cannot separate the clinical presentation from the person's social context um, and, and understanding what their life is like. Do they have access to the things that they need to stay healthy? Do they have access to fresh foods and stuff like that? And so we, when we see patients, have to understand that so that when we're coming up with a care plan for trying to improve your outcomes, if the only thing I do is give you a prescription and say, hey, take this medication, but I don't understand if there's any financial strain within the household, if there aren't any stressors that, you know, you may have to prioritize other things in your life where this is just not at the top of the list at the moment. If I don't understand that in, in my assessment, try to figure out what your access to other resources are in order for you to be able to take care of yourself, then you know, as a physician, I can't be surprised if you come back and the diabetes and the blood pressure aren't well controlled and find out that you've had issues with trying to adhere to the diet because you don't have access to fresh foods in your neighborhood, fresh affordable food in your neighborhood. All of that is important. And so the biggest um, thing I want everyone to take from this is that we are at a point, a critical point of needing to understand the social determinants of health and understand the role that they play in healthcare delivery. We cannot separate the two. And that's not to say that we are the solution to all of it, but we do need to partner with the community for those resources to empower our patients to be able to take care of themselves. Whenever someone asks me, what, what are we supposed to do to get to help with health disparities overall? Just and a I, small question. <laughs> and I always say, well, please don't rely on the health system by itself because the health system, the providers, the patients, all of us are, are living in a larger community structure that, you know, we have to think outside of the box and realize that there are things that we may have to do in terms of advocating for the community that may be outside of the health system. You know, we may have a role in participating in community discussions around what the needs are, where the gaps in services are, how can we partner and leverage resources across different organizations to, as a community, provide the necessary support? So it's critically important that we not think one entity or one institution is the solution because it's not. We have to get to a point of working together towards that solution. Absolutely. I want to thank Dr. Price Haywood for shedding light on this topic with us today. It's good to know that she and the Center for Outcomes and Health Services Research are giving the community guidance in tackling these important issues. Many people don't realize that in addition to being a healthcare provider, Oxner is an academic and research institution, teaching future doctors and nurses 
and also researching the latest in medical knowledge. For more information, visit research.oxner.org. So thanks again for joining us today. I'm Alex Godan with Oxner Health. See you next time on Innovation Health.